All right, we are back. That was Amanda Marshall with Birmingham. And the last guest on the show is author John B. Lane. We're going to talk about his book, The Beaten Path, A Lyrical Guide to Lucid Evolution. Good morning, John. Good morning, Janine. Okay, so how does somebody in instructional design, because I have a degree in that field and most people don't know what that is, Right. How do you um, end up doing this kind of writing? Like, did it fulfill something? I would imagine it fulfilled something that you weren't doing professionally. Uh, that's a big part of it, yes. And, uh, you know, I ended up in instructional design after uh, writing in, in various other realms. Um, you know, I was a journalist. Uh, I was in advertising and marketing for a while. And, uh, and then in instructional design, all of which call upon one's writing ability. But... Um, you know, there's a, there's a point, I think, at which uh, y- 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 there's a desire to write something on your own terms. Right. And uh, that's really part of what this was. Do you feel like your experience as an instructional designer influenced the way you structured the book? I think maybe in some indirect questions. That's, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, there was certainly a, a lot of uh, lessons that I had from the, the the whole world of instructional design that were kind of in the back of my mind. I don't know that it it consciously or deliberately affected the way I structured the book, right. but uh, I think that it, there was there was definitely um, you know some elements of that that were in there. I was very conscious of uh, you know the the impact on the the reader and you know how information was processed and. Um, so yeah, I think there was there was definitely some connection there. What struck me, John, is that um, in the material that was sent along with the book, um, they said well, they described your mission as um, this book will interest and challenge insightful readers who want to go deeper in the quest to find their true identity. Could you tell me about that? Well, I think that one of the key. Um, messages of the book is it really which i think aligns well with your show get the funk out is the idea of uh, kind of living uh an examined life in other words living a a purposeful authentic life uh that's that's based on your own experience in the world and not um controlled or or heavily influenced by the the beliefs and traditions of other people. I mean, it's it's inevitable that we're influenced by, you know, our family and the people around us. But uh, one of the things that I try to urge is to to really live uh, a life that's based on, you know, the use of your own mind and your own experience with reality. Yes, uh, I, that's so important. I think so. Yeah, and it's it's really something that I, I think is uh, is a problem. Uh, these days, I mean, I think you know, just culturally as a society, we've kind of gotten away from uh, from that to a certain extent, and and I, I see it almost as a as a public health epidemic. Uh, you know, people just uh, uh, sort of not thinking, and uh, I, I think we're paying a price for that. But I'm also optimistic that maybe that that's starting to change. Do you think it's because we have our faces in our phones so much? I think that's uh, uh, definitely a part of it, you know, and it was, it's, it's been kind of an insidious uh, thing that crept into our lives. There's even a, a piece in the book about, uh, about uh, a couple of pieces actually about, um, about that specific thing, 
Uh, and and I think you know it, it seems like we're we're not only filtering our lives through the, this small device, this little slab I call it, but um, you know it's it's a, it's our total focus, right. and so we're missing everything around us, and we're not thinking directly. And um, you know, it's it, my concern is that you know it it sort of encourages almost a secondhand life in which we're, we're not directly experiencing the world around us. I have found that um, I've started to listen to like uh, Zen meditative music and things like that when I'm writing or whatever, and I have much deeper thoughts about my life and myself if I have this sense of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Because everything is so distracting. Yes, absolutely, and it's, you know, again, it's one of those things that I think we, we just fall into this. Everybody is living their lives through their phones, or a lot of people are, and, and you know, so that's, we, we just fall into that. But uh, it's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that in terms of your writing, because um, the way I ended up writing this book really did call on a lot of my background in meditation and, and the whole notion of, you know, kind of the, the Zen outlook on life and... Um, there were various reasons I did it this way, but I ended up sort of writing this. My subconscious wrote a lot of this book, I think. Um, you know, I, yeah. I did a lot of research, and I had ideas in mind of what I wanted to talk about, but <clears throat> rather than sort of follow an outline, you know, from beginning to end, I just let the, the notions and, and ideas and points I wanted to make kind of emerge one at a time, and... Um, that's why the book is is a collection of so many kind of different styles and voices, um, and uh, I, I found it was a really pleasurable way to write. It was you know different than what I typically do as an instructional designer, but yes. um, I was often surprised at kind of the way my subconscious formed ideas and expressed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's described more like a record album or mosaic than a typical book. Yes, I, I think it did end up being that way, uh, you know, because, for, again, for various reasons. Um, one, I, I wanted the book, because the book is, is about, The Beaten Path is about, uh, you know, kind of living a, a conscious life and, uh, you know, with fresh thinking and free thinking. And so I didn't want it, uh, it, it to be a book that kind of looked and felt like every other book. I felt like it sort of had to reflect its own themes. And, um, and it was, as it Turned out it was more fun for me to write the book this way as a collection of different pieces. Um, and I hope it's, you know, maybe in- interesting to read. How did you prepare for writing this book? I mean, did it, was it organic? or Did you have a clear idea of where you wanted to go? I had accumulated some ideas for, for quite a while that, that just began to kind of gel and crystallize in my mind, and I did, um, you know, as a good instructional designer, at one point I did sit down and, uh, you know, start to put an outline together, and um, and then it just didn't feel right. Uh, it, it, it really, I, I, I just, I knew I wouldn't have the, you know, kind of the enthusiasm I needed to write the whole book if I was doing it in a sort of, you know, cookbook uh, approach as a writer, and... Um, so, like I said, I, I really did just, you know, almost at the same time, I, I just sort of let it go, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was a big part of it. And these pieces started just emerging from my subconscious. And uh, I would often write, um, you know, one of my most uh, uh, 
effective times to write uh, was in the morning when I'd wake up, but before I'd get out of bed, you know, there's sort of that, there's that little interval where your mind is sort of just in between yes. two worlds. And a lot of times these pieces would kind of come to me full-blown, and I would just write them down before I even got out of bed. Um, Isn't that interesting? And I, there were pieces I wrote while I was walking, um, pieces I wrote in the shower. You know, I had a, uh, kept a waterproof notebook all the time. And, um, you know, wh- and I just made a commitment that when these things presented themselves to me, I would be present for them and I would capture them completely, uh, you know, capture the, the complete idea, yes. and then I'd move on. You know, I wouldn't judge what I was writing. Mm-hmm. So it was almost kind of a meditative um, exercise. And I did a little revision later, but in a lot of cases, I didn't need to revise too much. You said something really important for anybody who's a writer, is that you don't judge your writing, you just get it out there. Yeah, I think it's really critical, especially on first draft, uh, Don't that's not the time to edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially was the case uh, in the way I wrote this book. You know, I just let it come. And it's really, it's more fun, I think, and exciting for the writer. And I have to think that, that it would likewise be that way to the reader because you, you surprise yourself. Um, you know, there were times when I would write things and I would just, you know, almost be like a third party shaking my head. Um, and then, like I said, I think later is the time to maybe go back and, and look at things and tweak or revise, um, you know, after you've had a little chance to put them aside, put those first drafts aside. Yes, yes. I think that's an important lesson for everybody. Um, whatever you're writing, you just... You get it out, and then you go back. I'll wait a couple days, and then I'll, I'll say, oh, I don't want to say it that way, or I don't want to say that. It's too personal. or Like, I got it out, I dumped it out, but then I clean it up. Right. I think, you know, because I've, I've read about writers who will, you know, spend half a day on a paragraph, that kind of thing, you know, Whoa. on a first draft. <laughs> that, that just seems, no. you know, it's almost no. presented as a, as a virtue, you know, to, right. to writers. You hear that in writing classes and things like that. And I, to me, that just sounds kind of painful and yes. inhibiting. Extremely. Extremely. Um, I, were you influenced when you were younger to write? Yes, I was. I, you know, it's it's always been something that I, came easily to me, mm-hmm. quite quite honestly. And uh, so I've I've done it since I was very young. I actually had a uh, newspaper when I was about ten years old. I um, did a little neighborhood newspaper, and um, I've always written. But it, it, I think it came so easily to me that I I took it for granted and uh, didn't didn't appreciate it till I got a little bit older. You know, I wanted to do, do other things and. Uh, and finally, you know, accepted the fact that this is what I do best and, and I think maybe, therefore, what I enjoy the most. I think it's great. Where can people find out more about you? The, um, uh, the Beaten Path website is uh, thebeatenpath.com. I'll spell it T-H-E-B-E-A-T-I-N-P-A-T-H.com. Uh, and there's more information there and also uh, on, uh, on your website. Yes, on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Any last bit of advice for people that are writers? Uh, I would say just, first of all, keep writing. Uh, and, uh, again, just like we talked about, don't, uh, don't make it too hard on the first draft. Let it come and, uh, and then go back and revise it and, um, you know, kind of follow your passion. Perfect. 
I want to thank you so much for calling in, John. Congratulations on your book. Thank you, Janine. It was great talking with you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. That was John B. Lane calling in to discuss his book, The Beaten Path, A Lyrical Guide to Lucid Evolution. If you missed any part of this, all his info is on the show blog, and our conversation will be up there within an hour after I wrap. Shout out to Daniel, who's sitting here with me. (laughs) He's a UCI School of Law School student. Glad to have you here. Thanks for coming in. And uh, all right, so if you want to find out about being a guest, just um, send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at K-U-C-I dot org. And Happy New Year, everyone. And I'll be back next week. Have a great day.